Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Welcome everybody, my name is Brad, I'm glad you're here, and uh, we're working our way through the Gospel of Mark, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Mark chapter 2. If you're using one of the Bibles in the chair in front of you, uh, which I'd encourage you to do if you don't have a Bible, uh, you can find Mark 2 on page 589, and if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to take that Bible, make it your own, keep it, read it, we'd love for you to, uh, to take that home. Before we get into Mark chapter 2, which is one of my favorite scenes in the Gospels, um, I, I want to let you know about two, two important things. First is that, uh, as we've been saying, some of you may be new and have, maybe this is your first or second Sunday and you don't know anything about this, but um, several months ago, the owners of this shopping center that we are in right now, uh, we rent this building and uh, have a, a lease that extends for several years, but recently, within the past few months, the owners of this building filed for bankruptcy. That bankruptcy has been settled with the bank, and that means that the bank is going to uh, foreclose on this property on Tuesday, October 2nd. And so when a foreclosure happens, that means one of two things are going to happen. The bank is either going to sell this shopping center on the courthouse steps on October 2nd, or they're going to in a sense, sort of buy it back so that they could sell it through a more traditional process. So th- this, this thing's going down, very likely, on October 2nd, on Tuesday. Um, one or two things, again, could happen. They could let it go and let it be sold to the highest bidder, or they will just take it back and then eventually sell it through a slower, more traditional process. So that means that we need to be prepared to be aggressive and put our best foot forward to uh, try and purchase the, this, this uh, shopping center on October 2nd. If that happens, Lord willing, then we have a pretty good plan of what we're going to do next as far as selling off the buildings that we do not need. And so what we need you to do is to pray that God would give us favor and wisdom and grace for that day on October 2nd, Tuesday. It probably happened between the hours of 10 and 4. Um, you don't need to like come down to the courthouse and have a little flash mob scene. That might be kind of strange and intimidating. It might work against us. But do be praying for that. And also... Uh, we had a lot of questions last Sunday night at our one another meeting, but we want to have another opportunity for those of you that maybe missed that or have more questions and any developments that happen between now and then. We want to be able to update you with the best information possible. So on September 22nd, or I'm sorry, 26th, that's a Wednesday night, we're going to have a building Q&A in here in this room from 6.30 to 7.30 or however long it takes. Um, but 6.30 to 7.30, Wednesday, September 22nd, 26th, I'm sorry, September 26th, building Q&A here in the sanctuary, and we'd love for you to come, and we'll spend some time praying for that uh, upcoming October 2nd date as well. So, hey, listen, I'm encouraged. I'm excited about this. Here's the great, here's the great uh, benefit of believing in the utter sovereignty of God in all things, which is true, is that He works for the good of His people no matter what. So whatever happens on October 22nd or beyond will be for the good of Crosspoint, and for the glory of God, and there is tremendous comfort in knowing that. Um, and, and then he uses the prayers of his people to bring about his will, so be praying for that, and come on the 26th. Also, before we get into Mark 2, I just want to highlight, for those of you that may be young college students or college-aged in Crosspoint, one of the great emphases of Crosspoint, Wayne prayed for one of our missionaries, 
one of our great emphases, emphasi, emphasis, what's the plural? Emphasilibi, whatever. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about? Is obviously the gospel and, and its centrality, the local church, and our responsibility as very blessed people to, uh, to take the gospel uh, to our city, to our neighbors, and to the uttermost parts of the world, whether that is being sent to be missionaries or whether that is mobilizing missionaries from this little sliver of the body of Christ called Crosspoint. And so we want to be about mobilizing missions. And on, at the end of this year, there is uh, an Urbana Student Missions Conference. And Urbana Student Missions Conference is, is something that's been going on for several decades, every few years. And it has been a missions conference for young people, college-aged, uh, that has mobilized uh, great missionary efforts for decades and this particular missions conference, uh, David Platt, great young pastor in Birmingham, will be speaking. If you are a young person uh, in college age and you desire to go to this, you maybe sense that God is calling you in some way to missions or to serve short-term in missions. We have a team of people here at Crosspoint called our Barnabas Missions Team that wants to help mobilize that calling in your life. And we'd love for you to go to this conference at the end of the year, the t- December 27th through the 31st. I think it costs a couple hundred dollars. If you don't have that, we will help you with that. We want to we wanna, uh, be radically mobilizing people for mission. And so if you're interested in that, email the Barnabas team. And you can email them. That's our missions team, Barnabas CP. stands for Barnabas Crosspoint at gmail.com. And, um, and somebody will get back with you, and we want to help you go. So if you're a college-age student, Young adult, we'd love for you to consider going on this. St. Louis, Missouri, road trip up there. Get a couple other folks with you. Do an all-nighter. You know, grab some crystals on the way and crank it out. And uh, get up there and, and let yourself be saturated for God's heart for the nations. And to that end, uh, we've got in our resource room a book that we're giving away. This is free. This is just giveaway. You know, all of our resources that we sell, we don't really sell them. We just sort of sell them back for what we bought them for. And, of course, it's just we have a kind of whatever-you-can-afford policy. But this book, we've got about 20 of them on the table there. We're just giving these away. And this is called A Holy Ambition, to preach Christ where, uh, to preach where Christ has not been named. And it's a book by John Piper. And this is just a compilation of some of Piper's best sermons on missions. You can also find this as an MP3 CD, I think, in there. Or you can go to the Desiring God website and find it. This is a great book to stir your heart for the nations, and by just one of America's foremost preachers and uh, people that's behind missions. So anybody want this? Anybody want this book? Gene Cohn? Um, yeah, Reynolds, can you give that to Gene there? R- read that, Gene. Pass it on or keep it. Mark it up and, uh, and go pick up that book. Gene didn't really get anything special there because it's free. And so there's 20 more um, that are free in there too, so we get that. All right, let's get to it. Mark chapter 2. Um, here's what we're going to do this morning. We're just going to read and comment along the way, and we're going to dive into this beautiful 12 verses where this man is carried by his four friends and lowered down through the roof to Jesus, one of my favorite scenes in the Gospels, and we're just, uh, Lord willing, going to uh, dissect and chew on and think on the gospel-saturated truth in this story. Let me pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll read together. Father, thank you for these friends that are in this room. I pray, Lord, that as we open your word now, that you would help us. And we need your help, as Reynolds confessed earlier at the beginning of our time together. We need your help. 
We're so thankful that you're gracious and that you're willing to show us wonderful things out of your word. I pray for Christians in this room that you would stir our hearts for Jesus and what he's done, and I pray that you would stir our hearts for our role in facilitating your work in other people's lives. And for the people in this room who are not yet Christians, I'm so thankful that they are here, and I pray, Lord, that you would give them the great grace of a heart, a new heart that's finally alive, that is able to turn away from trusting in themselves and to turn away from sin and recklessness and to turn in faith and belief to Jesus. Help us now as we, as we look at this glorious scene of your grace and power. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's read in Mark chapter 1. I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 1. The flurry of the first chapter has ended. Jesus has been baptized and calls his first four disciples into ministry, then launches quickly in Mark's account into healing and exercising demons and, and healing a leper, retreating to desolate places to rely on God. And now we see him returning back to Capernaum, which sort of functioned as his early headquarters. It says in verse 1, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. Now, let's not just read this too quickly. Let's think about this for a second. The crowds are gathering around Jesus. There's no more room. I mean, people are elbow to elbow, shoulder to shoulder, Jesus himself is not just performing a miracle as glorious as that is or casting out a demon as wonderful and as unusual as that may be or calling people to himself, but he's actually preaching the word to them. Like like the one who wrote it is preaching the word to them. It reminds me of, of... at the end of the Gospel of Luke, I think it's Luke chapter 24, where the, the resurrected Jesus appears to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Can you imagine being those two cats? And Jesus comes and starts walking along with them on the seven-mile journey, and he opens up the Old Testament with them just by memory and begins to explain to them from the Old Testament, from Moses, from Genesis, all the way through Malachi, all of the Old Testament which is pointing towards him. And then finally, at the end of that journey, he just kind of puts it in their hearts so that they realize who he was, and then he just kind of goes away. I mean, can you imagine that seven-mile walk where Jesus gives you an Old Testament course on how it all points to him? And that's what he's doing for these people. The one who wrote it, the one who it is about, is explaining it to him. It's like, it's like, like, like the director's cut. You know, you ever you know, buy, like, you know, some of you are like Lord of the Rings fanatics or whatever. I think it's a little strange, but anyway, you, you know, you get the, you've watched it four times in the theater, and then you buy the DVDs, and you just can't, every, like every month you watch it, and, and then there's a little director's cut thing where whoever wrote it is kind of telling you what they were thinking. But, I mean, the author, director, producer is explaining the script to you. That would be remarkable. But let's keep going, and it says in, in verse 3, now he's teaching, it's a jam-packed room. 
Jesus is preaching the word to them, and in verse 3, something amazing happens. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now, let's stop there and again not just breeze through this and kind of yawn because we've read this so often. I mean, that is remarkable. Imagine, I mean, imagine right now if dust started to fall from the ceiling and somebody was getting lowered through the roof. I mean, think about how unusual that is. And let's, let's even back up to this man that evidently has been paralyzed for some time and has four friends. I mean, the journey to go from wherever they were to the house that Jesus was in, was not, it wasn't easy. I mean, any of, you that, any of you young soldiers, and we've got a bunch of young soldiers. I see a guy in uniform there. By the way, that just reminds me to pray for our soldiers and our military. And, and if you see a soldier sitting next to you, he's very likely hungry. Take him to lunch and pay for it. And maybe go to a buffet and let him go through the line twice. And if you happen to have a beautiful daughter like my in-laws did 20 years ago, maybe he'll marry your daughter and come back and plant a church in Columbus, Georgia. I don't know. I can't guarantee you that, young soldier, but, but feed, I mean, feed him at least. But, but if you've been in the military, something that you do in training is you do like a, a, a fireman's carry where you're carrying somebody who's wounded you know, from the battlefield to the aid station or whatever. And, and you know, you conceptually can think about it, but that is, that's tiring work. I mean, first of all, just getting a, a cot or a mat, I mean, human body weight is not equally distributed, you know? And, and, and I mean, to get each guy on corner and they're coming and, you know, they're probably occasionally dropping him and, you know, that gets a little tiring. And, I mean, it's, it's humbling to be carried. Come on. I mean, do you think, just, just get, picture the utter dependence of the man being carried. I mean, there's a lot going on in this and before they even get to the roof. And then they have to get to the house, and then they have to climb up a ladder with a guy. Did somebody throw him over his shoulder, the biggest guy? Did, did the Jamie Herndon and the Robbie Farmer of the group throw him over the shoulder to climb up the ladder, and then they resumed putting him on the mat? I mean, that, that was work. These were some determined friends who... who who were willing to be a little awkward and a little out of the norm because they loved their friend and they sensed that this healer, exorcist guy, Jesus, could actually do something for him. And so they were willing to push through that and to get him to the house, whatever it took. And then when they got there to the house, they realized that the crowd was too big and so they had to go to plan B, which involved climbing up on somebody's roof of a house that you don't own I mean, I didn't note anywhere in there where they asked the owner permission to destroy his roof. I mean, that takes some gumption, doesn't it? That takes some wherewithal. That takes, like, some determination. And they crawl up on the roof, and they start digging through or removing tiles. And then, apparently, somebody was Johnny on the spot because they had some rope or something. Somebody was a Boy Scout. They had a kit to tie to his mat and then start lowering him down right in front of Jesus. Friends, that is something you don't see every day. That's for friends who care, and that is a man who is willing to be dependent on four friends. Verse 5, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. 
the story gets even more unusual. I mean, come on. I mean, I think it's obvious here, isn't it? Uh, thank you, Jesus. But actually, I don't know if you know this or not, but he's been paralyzed for a while, and we, we kind of took a rather unusual route to get here and destroyed this guy's roof. He's over in the corner. He's kind of upset. We lowered him down because he can't walk. So the implied thing is there is, can you heal him? I mean, thanks for this forgiveness thing, but I mean, we, what? That's not really what we were in line for. In fact, that's not really what we kind of cut the line for. Jesus sees through and sees the real need of the situation, which is far beyond physical healing, and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Verse 6, now some of the scribes were sitting there. The scribes were religious leaders. They were more than just, uh, you know, for us the word scribe, we would think like somebody who might be like a, a courthouse recorder or somebody who records things. Scribes had a mu much more status than that where they were not only teachers, um, they were kind of like the, uh, they were the ones that would be the sort of public health officials. Remember, they would say that the leper was clean before. They were kind of like the, the, the religious official of the little synagogue. They had a tremendous amount of authority and teaching um, credibility. And so they're more than just copiers of words. They're, 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 it's, a, it's a very important position in the Jewish culture at that time. And in verse 6, it says, Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. That's important. So this is an internal questioning, questioning in their hearts. Why does this man, meaning Jesus, speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And then in verse 8, Jesus, because he's God, it says, And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, I mean, can you imagine getting called out by Jesus? I mean, you, were, you didn't even say it. You were, just, you were just thinking it. And Jesus just went all Jedi mind trick on these jokers over in the corner. Like, whoop. I know what you're thinking. He says, why do you question these things in your hearts? And then he offers a really confusing sort of question here. Because on the surface, it seems like it's obvious. But then the answer is not so obvious. He says in verse 9, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven... Or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. So actually, let's think about that for a second. This is actually perplexed. Like commentators have written volumes like, which really is easier? I mean, in a sense, it's easier to verbalize the words, your sins are forgiven, and, and it's much harder to actually supernaturally heal somebody. So on the surface, we would, we would think that, right? But, but actually, when you think about it more, to do more than just verbalize the words, your sins are forgiven, to, but to actually be able to forgive your sins is actually much harder than to say, rise up and walk. And so it's kind of a, a little bit of a trick. I mean, it, it, Jesus isn't trying to trick them, but there's a deeper meaning because he's going he's gonna to prove it here in a second, and it really gets to the, to the core of the 
scribes questioned where they said, who is this man? Only God can forgive sins. And that's actually the point. I mean, they were, they were oh so wrong, but also right. They were right, but they just didn't realize that Jesus is God and he can only forgive sins. He's the only one that can do it. And it redirects our hearts to realize the, really the consequences and the weight of sin. Do you see that God is the only one that can forgive sin because sin is primarily directed against God? Do you see that? I mean, I was, I was listening to Tim Keller preach some time ago, a pastor in New York City, and he offered this analogy about sin. I thought it was very, very helpful. You have three guys in a room, Dave, Joe, and Bob. Dave walks in and he just pops Joe right in the face, just cold cocks him, just bam. Dave hits Joe right in the face. And Bob steps in and says, whoa, 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 now, 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 Joe, before you, Dave, before this goes any further, um, the third guy says, no, I, 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 I forgive you for hitting Joe in the face. <laughs> we would all be like, well, you don't have any right to forgive because the offense was actually created, it was committed against Joe. Joe's the guy with the bloody nose and ear, you know, blood coming out of his ear because he just got his bell rung. Joe's the only one in that situation who has the real authority to forgive because he's the one who has been offended or sinned against. And that's actually the way sin works because sin ultimately is committed against God. In fact, that's what the Bible says in Psalm 51 where David commits this heinous act of adultery with Bathsheba and then he tries to cover up his adultery by causing her husband to be murdered. So he's, he's an adulterer and he's a murderer. And when he, comes front, uh, he, he is confronted with his sin and finally the Lord leads him to repentance, David utters these really important words where he says, against you and you only have I really, really sinned, God. Not that there weren't consequences, and not, I'm not saying that there's no human dimension to the consequences of our sin. But friends, do you realize that our sin really finds its weight by whom we sin against? And we are sinning against the holy, righteous creator of all the earth. I mean, I, I've said this analogy so many times, I'm sure some of you are bored with it, but I think it's so helpful for to me to see the, the real depth of my sin and its weight. I mean, I mean, God has forgiven me for more than just making less than optimal decisions. He forgives us for sinning against his holy, utter goodness and righteousness. And here's the analogy that I offer all the time. Right now, if uh, Chris Ferguson jumped up off this front row, and he, I'm just into these punching analogies today, but forgive me, and he just punched me in the face, it would hurt (laughs) because Chris is a pretty strong guy. And I might try and get up and, I mean, hopefully Maybe Kwame would jump up and help me out. We'd kind of take Chris down and try and get him back or whatever. I don't, I don't know how that would work, work out. I think Kwame could handle him a little better than I could. But the consequences of Chris punching me in the face would be relatively minor, and they'd probably stay in this room. But if the President of the United States was here for some reason, and Chris broke through the Secret Service Uh, line somehow by some stroke of luck and landed a right cross on the chin of the president. Let me tell you something. Holmes is going to jail, right? Because the sin finds its weightiness and consequences in the dignity of the office of the one it is committed against. Do you see that? Punching the leader of the free world is much worse than punching 
you or me, Joe Blow citizen. And on an infinitesimally grander scale, sinning against the holy, righteous creator of everything is where sin finds its worth and rightful consequence, which is separation from this holy God forever unless he intervenes on our behalf. And so really Jesus' question, really the answer to Jesus' question is that it's actually, I think, harder to forgive sins because only God can forgive sins. But because he's Jesus and because he's compassionate and because he's showing us and all those around and proving to them who he is, the story continues in verse 10, and he says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. And I love this. So that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, you can almost just sort of sense their jaws on the floor. We never saw anything like this. Just a few observations, and then we're, we're going to respond to the word. As I just want us to see the determination of these four friends. Like, what if, what if those of us that have received Jesus' forgiveness, what if those of us that have been Christians for a while, what if the people that would call Crosspoint home would just, would just grab a hold of this type of friendship and this type of community. And I mean, come on, can you imagine the conversation? I mean, this guy's been paralyzed for a while. He's, he's, he's laying on his mat. He's paralyzed. There's some humility. There's some shame in that. And they say, hey, hey, we hear this one is in town, and he's maybe able to heal you. It's not 100%. We don't know this for sure, but we're going to carry you on a mat. And then maybe if the crowd is big, we're going to do whatever it takes. We might even lower you through a roof. And can you imagine the guy kind of resisting that? I mean, come on, that takes, that, that's, that, that takes humility to kind of get carried through the center of the town, lifted up by some strong guy, and then dropped down. And, and, and maybe Jesus might just dismiss him and say, the nerve of you, get out of here. I mean, come on, this was risky. And I can imagine some objection by the paralytic. And, and yet they were determined. They said, no, we're not going to take no for an answer because we don't care about ourselves. We don't care about the vandalism of this guy's home. We don't care about some civil ordinance. I don't care if I've got to be in court the next day or repair or give this guy a cow because I just destroyed his house. I'm going to do it because I love you. And what if, what if like Christians in community in a local church just had this kind of rolled up sleeve, bare knuckle, skinned up elbow type of community where they cared about people who seemed to be down and out and we just, were, we just wouldn't take no for an answer, man. And we just pushed through awkwardness and, and we pushed through all the goofy little social things that hold us back and, and we just went after each other and, and we just sort of divested ourselves of our own preferences or things and we just, we just went after each other even to the point of being willing to put somebody on your back and dig through a roof to get to Jesus. How, how many people Right now, do you know, just need a call, need an encouraging word, need a conversation where you just press in a little bit and say, where are you, bro? Where are you? And if people in this room that would call themselves Christians would just be consumed with that type of determination, we could transform the gospel witness of even just this congregation. 
And then we wouldn't be so reliant on just a few people. We would, we would have this beautiful culture of under-shepherds where people, where people were just rugged, raw, awkward, loving Christians, man. I don't know, sometimes I, I, I just, I, it's the fear of man, I think, that just stops us from, from rolling up our sleeves with each other. And, and let's just reject that. Let's repent of that. And, and let's fill this room and this church with friends that are crazy enough to skin you up, lowering you through a roof. And the second thing I, I see is just the real need of this paralyzed man. I mean, can you imagine being paralyzed for however long? And can you imagine then being lowered in front of this one who you sense has the power to heal you? And then can you imagine him in his first word saying to you, your sins are forgiven? Can you imagine how in this paralyzed man's mind for probably a good amount of time, maybe years, he had built a scenario in his mind where if he could just walk again, then everything will be okay. And Jesus was not willing to give him just his idol. You see how whenever we, we, we sort of create a scenario in my mind, I thought about myself in that situation. And of course, I'm not physically paralyzed, but there are gaps in my life and there are situations where I created my life, if, if I could just get this, th- like then I will be okay, then life will be complete, then life will be full, if I could just, just get this, if just this could happen, if this could go my way, then I'll be okay. And, and I can imagine, I'm reading into it here, granted this is, this is reading into the text here, so I'm, I'm kind of going off the map a little bit, but I can imagine that maybe this paralytic man was, was probably creating a scenario in his mind. If I could just walk again like then, if I could get that, that will be sort of the good thing. That will be the good news in my life. And do you see how easy it is to, to get off path when we do that? When we, when we just kind of want something else here, then, then do you realize that Jesus wants to smash that something else because you know, he knows the true thing that we need, which is right relationship with him. Do you see that? And Jesus, in his kindness, still gives that guy that thing. And we shouldn't read that as a sort of prescription that, oh, Jesus is now required to give me. Like, this isn't some formula like, well, now if I just get my sins forgiveness, then then Jesus is going to heal me definitely. That's not what this is about, friends. This healing is to authenticate Jesus' divinity here for this onlooking crowd. But do you see how easy it is to sort of get off course a little bit and want something other than what we truly need, which is right standing with God? And the third thing that I see is the title of the message today is The Sovereign, Compassionate, Aggressive Grace of Jesus. I love this because I think you guys know me. I like good doctrine. I love systematic theology. I love to see how the Bible pieces together. And I like things to fit and Jesus kind of blows up my category in this scene. You see, l- listen, go back, go back to, to uh, where it says uh, Jesus in verse 5. It says, and when Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? The paralytic's faith or these other guy's faith or whatever. He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. 
But wait a minute, Jesus. That's not quite doctrinally correct, Jesus, you see, because before you can forgive somebody's sin, Jesus, there needs to be repentance and, you know, belief and a good gospel confession there. And it doesn't even really indicate that there's much faith on his part. He's talking about maybe very likely the faith of these four friends. And so, Jesus, I mean, thank you for healing, but there's a couple things got to happen before you can do this, Jesus. You see that? But I think what's happening here is Jesus isn't, isn't waiting on a profession or some sort of right doctrine from the paralytic. He's looking into that guy's heart. And he's seeing just a little seed of hope there, which he sees as faith in him and turning away from himself. And Jesus is aggressive in his grace. Do you see this? Like Jesus isn't even waiting on the guy to get it all right or to verbalize it. Jesus is going after him like a hound of heaven, saying, I'm going to get you, man. Your day has come, and I'm coming for you. Your sins are forgiven, man. That is so encouraging. Do you see that? That means that when my little stammering tongue and my little confused heart doesn't get it right, and I don't have everything in order, and my little confession of faith, and my, my life is unraveling, that Jesus isn't waiting on the precision of my understanding or anything because he's aggressive. He comes after me, and he comes after you. Do you see that? Jesus is sovereign, he's compassionate, and he's aggressive, man. you got a hound dog who's on your scent, who's going to track you down and get you, and when he gets you, he's going to give you what you truly need. Do you see that? Also, parent whose child is away from God, oh, realize that he's aggressive in his grace. Person in this room who feels like that you have done something that Jesus cannot forgive. Oh, don't make an idol out of your sin. Come on, when you do that, you are exalting your sin as the highest power of the universe, and you're saying, no, 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 what Jesus did on the cross quite can't ring the bell for my sin. No, no, friends, Jesus is aggressive in his faith, and when he gets the scent of you, he comes after you, man. He comes after you, and he gives you the very thing that you need. And friend in this room, right now, who has sort of moved back and has lost the wonder of the gospel and is no longer amazed by the aggressive, compassionate, sovereign grace of Jesus. Oh, you need to dip yourself. You need to bathe yourself in this story and realize that Jesus is aggressive in his grace for you. And he wants you to have the reaction of this crowd. Oh, I've never seen anything like that before, man. I was a self-righteous sinner who was lost. And Jesus, 20-something years ago, came after me, man. On March 16th in 1989, when I was a little punk, a senior in high school in El Centro, California, lost in sin, lost in pride, through no merit of my own, Jesus picked up the scent of my sin, and he came after me. And I didn't, I didn't have a category. I didn't understand grace. I didn't know what faith was. All I knew was me and my goofy little idols. And Jesus came after me, man. He came after me. And now you fast forward a couple decades and it's so easy to just kind of act ho-hum. Well, now I'm a pastor of a church, Jesus. Aren't you proud of me? Look at what I'm doing for you. No, no, no. I need to be amazed afresh at the aggressive, compassionate, sovereign grace of Jesus who gives me what I wasn't even looking for. Do you see that, friends? And when you refresh your soul with that, Jesus becomes more beautiful and you worship more passionately and it becomes something he uses for an onlooking world to chase them down. Glory to God. Glory to God. Friends, where, where are you? Are you, are, you, are you 
I mean, we're all paralytics, aren't we? Aren't we? That was last week, man. We're all lepers. We're all paralytics. We're all on a mat. Oh, come on. None of us were, none of us sprinted our way into the room. We all had to be somehow, by God's grace, carried to him. Maybe it was good parents. Maybe it happened when you were six or seven. Praise God that you avoided so much sin in your life. And maybe right now you think that you are beyond the outstretched arm of Jesus. That is a lie. That is not true. We're all on a mat and we need Jesus. And we all need friends. We need people in this room, Christians in our life, to just do whatever it takes to get us to Jesus. And when we get there, we find what we truly need. And then we need to spend the rest of our life being amazed at the sovereign, compassionate, aggressive grace of the hound of heaven, Jesus. Let's pray and let's respond to him now. Father, as we come to you now, I thank you. I was, I was a paralytic. I was, I was lost. And, uh, you, you, you hunted me down and, and I didn't have categories. I didn't have the right confession. I didn't know the words to say. I, don't even, I mean, I didn't even have belief and you gave it to me. I had a dead heart and you gave me a new one. And God, that's what you do. That's what you do. You're so aggressive with your grace. And I'm so thankful that you weren't reluctant and religious with me. Lord, would you do the same for somebody in this room who feels like they have to jump through hoops to get to Jesus or who feels like their tongue is stammering or their heart is confused. That's the type of person that you save. And friend, Father, for the, for the friends that are in this room, God, make us aggressive. Make us dogged in our determination to, to get people to Jesus. And Father, I pray that we would have a collective awe and amazement that Jesus would become more beautiful and irresistible and that we would worship you more passionately even now so that an onlooking world and say, we've never seen anything like this. Lord, would you do this in my heart, in the heart of my friends, and would you save unbelievers today? Friend, if you're in this room and you're wondering what it takes, and Jesus says to this paralytic, your sins are forgiven, he's saying that because he knew that he was going to the cross, and on the cross he took the punishment that you and I should have borne for punching the sovereign Lord of the universe in the face with our sin. The justice and righteousness of wrath and wrath of a holy God that is barreling down on our heads, Jesus can forgive because Jesus takes that punishment for us on the cross and then he rises again in victory over sin and death and all of its consequences and now is calling you, even you right now, to turn away from yourself to repent and believe in him alone for your right standing with the creator of the universe. Do that right now. Look to Jesus. Christian, are you amazed at the sovereign, compassionate, aggressive grace of Jesus? Be amazed afresh. And let's respond to Jesus together.